can't stress enough how important it is to find a mentor who is kind and who is supportive and not just someone who has all of the publications and the superstar identity within your field, uh, because a toxic advisor can be detrimental to your health. Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking into the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast, a space designed to inspire and highlight the stories of women of color in graduate school who are prioritizing their overall health and wellness while pursuing higher education. My name is Angela, and I'm your host. Let's get started. So hi, Yvette. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well getting into the groove of the semester and kind of settling into things. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, it's the thick of, I feel like we're in the thick of, of the fall flurry. <laughs> we are. Mid-term it's fall. October. Yes. <laughs> it's all over from here. It's like holiday after holiday after, and then work doesn't get any, any not at all not at all yeah like brace yourself for the chaos um well I am so happy to have this opportunity to talk to you um it's I think last it was April the last time we were able to connect on your podcast so it's exciting to have you here um to talk to the grad girl wellness community about your experiences uh with wellness with mentoring or femtoring better yet Um, and I'm excited for folks to, to get to know more about you Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to reconnect. I can't believe time flies. It was April when we last chatted on my podcast. Yeah. I know. We were, I was wearing shorts. Um, so for <laughs> folks who like, are unfamiliar with you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you studied, and a little bit about your academic history after you graduated? Yeah, of course. So my name is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu. I am a first-gen Chicana academic coach. Um, I uh, actually have degrees in English literature and a PhD in theater and performance studies. But what I do for a living is I support first-generation students of color as they navigate the grad school application process and as they successfully complete graduate school. So I help people apply to grad school, get through different um, hurdles, milestones, and ultimately, hopefully help them land their first kind of early career job. So I provide a lot of a lot of support for for students that way. And yeah, I didn't I didn't imagine that I would be doing this when I started grad school, I thought I was going to become a theater professor, which is why that's what my PhD is in. And that was, um, I graduated with my PhD in 2016. So it's been a few years since then. Awesome. That's I didn't know that about you. So that's interesting. I'm wondering if you could take us back a little while to I guess pre-2016 and tell us a little bit about your experiences with wellness when you were a graduate student. Oh my goodness. So it's actually um I don't even know how to put it into words without really taking you on my journey of grad school and and how I started, what happened in the middle and what happened in the end. So I started going straight into grad school. I was essentially groomed into becoming a professor. I was in a two-year grad preparation program called the Mellon Undergraduate Research Fellowship. And I thought, I am going to do the thing that I can't make a living out of, which is 
pursue theater. I, would, I loved acting, stage managing. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to study. I'm going to become a professor. And so I started grad school knowing very little about what I had signed up for. <laughs> a PhD sounded appealing, but I had not done my homework because I didn't know any better. So I did not conduct inf informational interviews. I did not know um, the ins and outs of grad school and what that profession entailed really behind the scenes. And so grad school was a big shock. Um, it's another, a different form of culture shock, the academic shock of another set, another type of hidden curriculum. Uh, but I did okay. But in working really hard to try to make up for what I thought was me not being good enough, I worked myself sick. I worked myself so sick, but that by the end of my second year, I completely burnt out and I also developed a series of chronic illnesses. So it all started out with stomach issues, which then went, uh, continued on to bladder issues and migra uh, migraine issues. And um, <laughs> the list goes on because this all really was, it, it's, it started in graduate school. I've always kind of struggled with mental health issues with you know depression and anxiety but my physical health issues really got impacted by my overwork and my inability to dissociate my value with my productivity and um, I also had a child in grad school so I got married very young and my partner and I decided we wanted to try to grow our family and we had a child and I suffered pregnancy complications. And so that's another thing that impacted my wellness in grad school was complications, giving birth, nearly dying, giving birth. That was, I, I, you know, facing a near-death experience really, really forces you to reprioritize and reassess where you are in your life. And then on top of that, I think I was also susceptible to struggling with depression because of my history of depression and anxiety that I struggled with severe postpartum depression. And it was the first time that I ever needed to take medication in combination with receiving support from professionals, going to therapy, seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And thankfully I had the privilege of receiving that support and getting better, but that was another reality check. And so all those things, the working myself sick, developing chronic illnesses, the near-death experience, becoming a mother, that's a completely big shift in my identity too, not just as a Chicana scholar, but then as a Chicana mother scholar. All of that influenced my decision to then uh, leave uh, the tenure track job market. And I think a lot of that had to do time back to prioritizing myself and the things that worked for me. And that included my wellness because I was not willing to take on adjunct positions where I would not have access to a full-time salaried position with benefits, especially with healthcare that would be able to support myself, my needs and my, my family too. So yeah, my wellness journey um, was a lot of just tough lessons that have carried me through and that I continue to learn from to this day because I no longer work myself sick. I no longer um, do the things that that make me ill. I really tune in and listen to my body. And that includes other things too, like 
my physical activity, my nutrition and all of those things too. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you for taking us on that journey with you. And some things that stuck out to me was just this idea that like we bring things with us into the graduate school journey, yeah. right? So it's like really important for us to be aware or to try even in undergrad, um, to try to learn about ourselves and be mindful mm -hmm. as much as possible because those things can just be like confounded um, and, and yes. experience in a grad program. Interesting. Okay. And and the other thing I wanted to say is I definitely like appreciate you being, I guess, bold enough to like step off of this academic track that you have been groomed to do. I've in some instances I feel very similarly. And it takes a lot of like strength to say, like, I'm going to change course. I'm going to pivot. Um, because a lot of people don't have the mentorship or don't have like the imagination yeah. or support in order to do that. Um, so that kind of leads me to ask then what role does mentorship or lack thereof do you think played into your experiences as a graduate student? I, I believe that mentorship is critical and can make or break your experience in grad school. I I mean, I can't stress enough how important it is to find a mentor who is kind and who is supportive and not just someone who has all of the publications and the superstar identity within your field, uh, because a toxic advisor can be detrimental to your health. I um, did not know my first advisor very well. And I knew this person from their publications and how very well known they were in their field. But unfortunately, we were not a good match. And this person happened to be toxic for me. I, I um, as someone who struggles with people pleasing tendencies and having a very demanding advisor who expected me to be working 24 seven, that was not um, helpful to my own wellness. And so I eventually was able to switch advisors and I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, having that switch was better ultimately for me and for my work, but um, I would rather someone know how important it is to find and secure a really good mentor that's not just going to help them you know, with their research and with advancing in their career, but also who can see them holistically, who can support them as a human, who can, I mean, <clears throat> for me, it's even important to have that social justice framework and for someone to understand that and for to have um, femtors who have an intersectional feminist lens who can provide culturally aware mentoring who can perceive me and what I bring to the table as bringing in assets and not just deficits, not just, oh, you don't know this, you don't know that, you're not prepared, this is not good enough, but someone who can help me grow and, and you know show my areas of growth but then also see this is the this is what you bring to this program and remind you because I I didn't get a lot of reminders about the things that I was doing well even though on paper <laughs> folks were like oh you got the Ford Fellowship or oh you're a Mellon Fellow or oh you got the AAU or whatever the names of the fellowships and activities I was involved in they looked great on my CV, but I actually, I didn't feel like I was doing that great. And that was the result of 
again, not having a mentor that was in alignment with what I needed as an individual. Mm-hmm. So I, it sounds to me kind of like, like our, like thinking about wellness and self-care isn't just about the individual. It's about the people you have in like your oh, own yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Because when I think about what worked, when I think about when was it that I started to get better and um, what were my successes when it comes to my wellness in grad school, a big part of that. And this is why I emphasize this over and over and over again, when people say, you know, how do you get through grad school if you're struggling is to develop support systems. So in my case, it was um, forming a collective of Chicana mother scholars and supporting each other and then doing research on that, realizing, wait, why are we all struggling? Why are we all without childcare? Why are we all without resources? Why is there no representation? And then we know why is there no kind of information that's readily available and accessible and doing something about it, co-editing an anthology, presenting at conferences, starting a podcast. That was one example, but then also like writing groups, support groups, therapy, all of that. Like you said, it's the people who are around you, supporting you, they're going to help you with getting through and also with taking care of yourself because it's really easy uh, to (laughs) forget about yourself when you're in a very demanding and rigorous program. And a lot of programs pride themselves on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely can identify with that. So you, it seems like you've, in a sense, you've made a career out of filling this gap and you've mentioned femturing and you mentioned uh, the grad school femturing guide. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the resource that you're, you're building um, and this book that's about to come out. Yes. So femturing, grad school femturing. So grad school femturing is the name of my platform, which includes the coaching services that I offer, which includes the podcast that I have where I release episodes every week. But then it also refers to this guide that I am co-authoring. And so this idea of femtoring came about, actually, I think it was really by chance, grad school femtoring as the phrase came out by chance. I was doing some research on like potential apps for another podcast that I had going on. And found one and was like, oh, if I were to have a podcast, what would it be? What do I know a lot about? Oh, grad school. What do I do a lot? Femtor. And so for me, I, I, um, I've always considered myself not just a mentor, but a femtor. So not a female mentor, but also a feminist mentor. And the way that I define it is um, a femtor is a mentor who has a social justice informed lens, who brings in an intersectional feminist lens as well, who sees you and supports you holistically. And that's, I know what I needed. So for me, femtoring, it's also acknowledging the ways that a lot of this type of service work, the mentoring is gendered too. And unfortunately in higher ed, it's not something that's necessarily awarded when you're going up for tenure, what is awarded more so than the service work, um, which falls heavily on women, women of color in academia, that's that's just not at the top of the things that are going to help you advance in your academic career. So for me, it's I need to call that out and I need to mention and address that, yes, this is gendered labor, but also like for me, the service work is what has always been that calling. I love being in service of others 
And also it's, it's one of the things that I so badly needed. I needed more, not just mentors, but femtors in my life who could validate the work that I was doing and who could have, you know, fought for me to continue doing the work that I, that I didn't support me in whatever transition it was, whether it was within academia and outside academia. So that's femtoring. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about the guide too that I am co-authoring. Yes, please tell us more. Yeah, so this idea for the guide, I say I've had it in my head for years. I remember when I was an undergrad, when I got into the Mellon Mays program, and <laughs> I don't want to call anyone out, but I was not super satisfied with, with the way that the program was run because that was the first. I, we were guinea pigs. We were part of the first cohort Um in in at my institution of that program and so of course you know folks were learning how to run that program but I was not satisfied and I remember thinking if only we had a guide or if only we had just information available like why is everything so hard it's just that frustration of constantly having to have my little notebook and having to get the runaround and having to ask a million questions and not feeling very smart feeling like I was asking silly questions I thought there's got to be like an easier way like there why is information not centralized why are we all asking the same questions so I've had this idea for years for years <laughs> but it didn't actually become uh something that I took seriously until I started working for the Ronald E McNair scholars program at UC Santa Barbara and um I remember when I had um, a new supervisor. I didn't know this person. So of course I found out I'm getting a new supervisor. Who is this person? And start searching around to see, does anybody know who this person is? And are they cool? You know, <laughs> is this person cool? Are we going to get along? And I remember the most common thing that people said about her, and I don't know if she's going to listen to this podcast, but maybe she will. She's my co-author, was that she was kind. That was the most common adjective people used to, uh, on top of being badass, <laughs> on top of being really amazing, she was kind. And I remember thinking, wow, so many people are saying that she's kind. And then I met her and I thought, wow, like this is what I've been missing for so long because she would, was, you know, advocating for me supporting me having all types of conversations seeing me as my full self it was okay for me to talk about my personal life and share more about me than just my work and even though at that time I was ready to transition out and actually leave my job and, and leave higher ed altogether the pandemic did that to me I still felt like wow this is someone that I feel like she's my femtor and um I brought up the idea about the book as I you know as, as I was um getting ready. I actually told her well in advance that I was going to be leaving my position and she was very supportive. And I mentioned the book and I mentioned I was looking for support resources, maybe even a co-author and she loved the idea. And so I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know that everybody would be willing to do this, but I think it's really amazing of her that I, <laughs> that I put in my my third, well, it was more than 30 days notice, but that I said, hi, I'm leaving this position. You are my supervisor, but also let's stay in touch. And how about we write a book together while we're at it? Oh, it worked out. 
And so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of this was last year. Um, I left my position end of August in 2021. We decided to kind of reconnect after the holidays, the fall holidays. So we reconnected in January 2022, started to come up with the ideas and reached out to presses and got a contract by April and here we are. It's already fall 2022 and we have a full draft. Still has to go through the revision, peer review and revision process, but we are just so happy that we're pushing forward and um, that hopefully it will be in people's hands soon because it's long overdue. Like, why is it not out there? Every time I look up grad school admissions guides, what do I see? Kaplan, Princeton Review, or white names. <laughs> <laughs> just to say it like I don't see anyone who looks like me who sounds like me who talks like me who keeps it real I I don't so I I can't wait it's not perfect I know there are gaps we can't address it all but this book is intended to support first generation low-income non-traditional students of color in figuring out if grad school is the right next step for them and if so how to apply and how to set themselves up to be successful in their programs. That is who it is for. Yeah. This is such, such needed work. And I definitely appreciate you taking the initiative to do this. One question I have though, I know that you, you mentioned your podcast. I know that you do like some individual um, film touring, but what do you think makes the book specific? Why do you, why does a book or why, what additionally might the book offer people? Yeah, so what I love about the book is that it brings in a lot of what I already cover in the podcast and ties it all together. But then on top of that, there's a lot of emphasis on demystifying the hidden curriculum. So uh, there's there's a lot of just bringing you in and not assuming that you know something. So as soon as we bring in any concept, we explain it. We talk about the history of higher ed. So why is higher ed so white? Why is it so male? Why is it so stale? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, like so we we go through kind of contextualize why higher ed makes so many people feel like they don't belong. And then if we if you decide after reading this book that you need to go to grad school for your own personal and professional goals to meet those goals, then we walk you through the process of how to apply with templates, mm -hmm. with sample essays with testimonies, so with quotes from people um, who have gone through that process. And so it's it's more than just here, like I can tell people, listen to episodes X, Y, and Z of my podcast and you'll be ready to go and you can apply. I've done that, but this brings in even more. So it provides a historical context, it provides examples, and really it's the how-to aspect of it that it's really hard to cover <laughs> just on a podcast um, that I always wanted. I always thought, well, you're telling me to write this email, but how? Like, exactly, like, what salutation do I use? And what, you know, what information? How long of an email is too long? What's too short? All these things where I would second guess or overanalyze, overthink things. I'm, you know, I'm thinking here, okay, here are the samples for you to have for inspiration and for so that you know 
what is expected of a successful application statement. And then we kind of sprinkle in a little bit of mindset stuff, <laughs> a little bit of personal development stuff too, because it's it's that stuff is to make sure that you going to grad school is alignment is in, in alignment with your long-term goals. Because for so many of us, we go to grad school because we think we have no other option or because... I don't know, like we think we don't have another option. Maybe we're bored. Maybe we see everybody else around us is doing that. We're afraid of going on the job market. We're afraid of paying off our loans. There's so many reasons, but really we want you to go because you need to. I don't want anybody to go in debt, well, at all, but then especially if they're going in debt for fear of of going into the job market as soon as they're out of college. So grad school really should be a necessity, something that if you don't do it, you are always going to have that what if, or if you don't do it, you are not going to be able to reach your career goals. Yeah. This is super helpful. I'm just listening to this. I'm like, wow, I wish I would have had someone like you to femtor me in thinking about my graduate school experience and why it is that I want to go. And also just like thinking through my options. And the other thing that came up for me is just like, because certain students like myself don't necessarily have like the social capital or have exactly. no anyone else to, who has gone to graduate school. Like I don't have access to these examples and people are like, Oh, just, you know, just ask someone. Oh, they've been oh there. Like, if you don't know anybody, it's, such frustration. it's like maybe if I was an extrovert, I wouldn't think twice about sending all these emails and asking for samples, mm -hmm. but I had those messages too. It's like, Oh, no big deal. Just ask people. And I was like, who exactly. <laughs> and exactly. how and yeah. and that's definitely like, yeah. even as a postdoc I, I literally had some temerity around asking someone for like a grant proposal and I was like I had to like really think long and hard about who I could ask and it was a very short list right but that's also after years of being in a PhD program and, and that's not something that I would have thought to do and not a network that I would have had prior to uh, getting my PhD. So this is yeah. like super helpful and, and needed. Um, and I'm excited to see, to get my own copy in my hands. And I'm just saying like, people do this. Sometimes folks say, oh, I shouldn't look at samples or a lot. I'm like, you can look at samples and still have integrity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you're looking at it for inspiration. You're looking at it to get idea, an idea of like, what does it actually look like? You're not copying it. Right. But I, I've worked in a scholarship center. I've helped students get national, international merit scholarships. And you'll see across the board, students of all backgrounds, like the winning students, this is what they do. They get samples, they get support, they go through multiple rounds of revisions. That's what we don't know. If you're first gen, you think, oh, I'm one and done. I'm just going to write my own essay, maybe revise it once and send it out when you don't think actually... I have to be strategic. I have to take a look at what winning statements look like. What are they looking for? How do I tailor it to the mission? Um, how many rounds of revisions do I have to get through? That was the strategy that I took when applying to dissertation year fellowships. And I got several of them. It, it works. So I, that's why we're providing these samples is so that way students don't have to ha go out of their way to figure this out. Why reinvent the wheel if some of us have gone through it and can share that information with you mm -hmm. it is not cheating and everyone else is already doing it so right yes yeah 
Awesome. Well, like I said, I'm super excited for this book and to share it with other people who I know are, are going, thinking about graduate school or thinking about going from PhD to master. So again, thank you for, for this like labor of love and, and using your experiences in graduate school to help other people. At this time, I would like to move us to the lightning round. Everybody's oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and all you have to do is just say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. So first question is, and I'm going to tailor this to, let's do it this way. So if you could, could you give us three words to describe mentoring in graduate school? Necessary. Um, invaluable, radical. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I would say mentoring is radical. Maybe not mentoring. <laughs> mentoring. Oh, definitely. I I really do love that concept. Honestly. Um, the second part of the well, of the lightning round. What are two invaluable resources that have helped you in your wellness journey? Oh my goodness! I actually am. I'm a cycling fan. And I have um I have the Apple Fitness app, and honestly, I took a long pause in in cycling during graduate school. But I started in undergrad, and as soon as I got back on with the Apple Fitness app, I found my favorite instructors, and I just I really like it. It makes it so easy for me to just hop on a bike that I got for not a lot of money online, <laughs> and to just get moving. Yeah, and then another one, um, wellness journey. I'm such a nerd. I feel like podcasts have helped me on my wellness journey, like therapy podcasts, personal development podcasts, all types of podcasts have helped me with my my wellness. Yeah. Awesome. And then the last question is, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to listeners who might be looking for a femtor? Advice? Well, one thing is to push yourself to get out of your comfort zone. It's really hard to find a femtor if you don't put yourself out there. And I know this is harder for some of us more than others. But if you put yourself out there, what's the worst that can happen? Someone says no, and then you move on. I tell people no means next. You move on to the next one and the next one. And eventually, just like any other opportunity, whether it's a job or applying to school, whatever it is that you're interested in, finding a mentor or a femtor, eventually you're going to find the right people and you're going to attract the right people to you. So whoever you don't attract, whoever is not available, that's okay. Like that's not meant for you. But then when you do find your people, it's going to feel amazing. You're going to wonder why didn't I reach out to this person sooner? So definitely get out of your comfort zone and you know, start building your community and your support system that way. Awesome. And again, the, the people around you are just as important to your wellness as the, as the work that you're doing internally. Yes. So thank you for reminding us of that. Yvette, if you could, um, how can we stay connected with you to find out more about your work? Yes, of course. So you can find all things Grad School Femturing on my website, gradschoolfemturing.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, I am Grad School Femturing on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, um, under my name on LinkedIn and we're also on Twitter. So grad femtoring on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone be sure to follow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me again. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. 
that's all I have for you on this episode. I hope that you heard something that inspires you along your wellness journey. And if so, share it with a friend. Until next time, take care.